Amen. Good morning. Well, can I extend that welcome to Cornerstone Church, Liverpool? My name's Paul. I'm one of the leaders here. Really good. Really good to see you this morning. Can I just say as well, just singing together with God's people this morning, what a, a living example that we've just experienced of what I'm about to actually walk through, the life that we have in the vine, the joy that we get from singing God's truths together with other brothers and sisters is just incredible, isn't it? Just stirs our hearts, doesn't it, with a love for God himself. I also want to extend another special welcome as well down here, Bill and Dot. Really good to see you this morning. 16 years ago, I became a Christian under your ministry, Bill. It was actually you, the first person I heard the gospel of. So I want to thank you for that. And welcome here this morning as well to, to Cornerstone Church. If you've got your Bibles, can you open them up at John chapter 15? So John chapter 15. And you joined us, as he said, in the, the last of the I am uh, messages that we've been working our, our way through. And it's been wonderful listening to them all. Some of the other leaders from the church have been taking us through this series over the summer. And it's just been a blessing just hearing from these guys and hearing from God's word. As God just opens up to us who the Lord Jesus Christ is and who he is himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone famously said once that we don't have new furniture in the New Testament. It's the same furniture, but with the lights turned on. And so through John's gospel, what Jesus Christ has been doing, he's been turning the lights on. He's been revealing God. He's revealing his character, his nature, revealing his, his being. And we've seen it through these I am statements that we've looked at. The bread of life. I am the, the light of the world, the shepherd, the door, the resurrection, the way, the truth, the life. See, all the, the furniture is there in the Old Testament, but Jesus Christ is shining the light of the gospel to actually show us what was always there all along, to show how they point to him, how they reveal God's character in him. And today we get to the last one, which is I am the true vine, where he takes something that they recognize and they would have known about in practice, in life, as, as people who worked agriculturally, but also in the Old Testament, and he explodes it out with meaning. So let me read it for us. If you follow it through in your Bibles, and the verses will also be on the screen behind me, and then we'll pray together. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Let's pray. 
Father, we've been singing together, together about your goodness, your greatness. Father, we pray this morning that by your spirit, you are here. Father, help us with our hearts, with our minds, with every fiber of our being to see the wonder and the beauty and the goodness and the grace and the compassion and the mercy and the life and the love that is ours in and through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Stir us up this morning, I pray. Amen. Verse one, I am the true vine. That's what Jesus says. Jesus, he uses words that, that the disciples who were sat there listening would have been so familiar with. To the vine, they would have known as the people of God. The vineyard is God's, God's dwelling place. In Psalm 80, verse eight to nine, up on the screen there, it says, you brought your vine out of Egypt and planted it in the promised land. Right at the start, when God's people were rescued from slavery and formed as a people, God called them his vine. So the disciples, they wouldn't have understood this, this metaphor, this imagery is relating to them. But they would also have been feeling some mixed emotions because they knew that it quickly went wrong. Jeremiah 2 verse 21 says this, I planted you as a choice vine from pure seed. How did you turn degenerate and become a wild vine? And then in Isaiah 5, 1 to 7, I think gives us a really good handle on this, this term. Let me just read it for us. It says this, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. This is God speaking to his people. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. This would have been so familiar to them. You see, Israel as representatives of humanity like Adam before them failed. They turned from, from God, their God, the creator, the source of life. And God, what he did, he let them see what happened if, that, if they did what their hearts wanted. And you get these themes of judgment interwoven with this picture of a vine. Ezekiel goes on and takes it a little step further. He links the vine with the judgment of Jerusalem. Ezekiel 15, 6, he says, it's like the wood of the vine, which I've given to the fuel of the fire, so I give up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They would have been feeling a lot of things. You see, an image that marked them out as the people of God became an image that highlighted their rebellion, their sin, and the judgment of God over them. The furniture's not new. Jesus Christ is turning the lights on. But look carefully at what Jesus does. Because words are really important. Verse one, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. 
Adam failed as representatives of humanity. Israel, the vine, the people of God failed as representatives of humanity before God. They were unfaithful, they they suffered the judgments of God. But Jesus Christ remains faithful and fulfilled Israel's and humanity's calling to be the vine of God. See, that's our starting point here, that it all flows from that Jesus Christ is the true vine. We, the church, Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the branches. We aren't the vine, Jesus is the true vine. He fulfilled the destiny that Israel was called to. And that starting point shapes what Jesus Christ goes on to say. And there's a couple of themes running through. One of them is that there are now two groups of people that we're gonna see through here. Firstly, are those that are not in the vine, verse two and verse five to six. Verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burns. The branches that are not in the vine are gathered, a picture of dried twigs and they are burnt. Remember that picture of God's judgment that we've just read from the Old Testament. Those not in the vine are those who have turned away from God, rejected him, turned to other things, living for themselves, growing wild, transgressing without boundaries that God puts in place, trusting in things outside of God to make them right before God and they are not in the vine. And Jesus Christ is speaking of judgment for those who Reject him. And Jesus Christ is saying here that nothing of eternal or spiritual significance is possible outside of the vine. I ask you to ponder those words, to let those words sink in. And can I even lay it out there and say that here this today is an invitation to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask the question, are you in the vine? And if you're not, let me open that invitation again. Come to him. He is the source of life. He is the point and the purpose of all things. But the rest of the passage focuses proportionally a lot more on those who are in the vine. Verse four and five. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. See, to be in the vine, what it means is to be in the Lord Jesus Christ, to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that means is to receive and to trust all that God is for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So to abide means to receive and to trust all that God is for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the source, the, the conduit of life. Life, regeneration, healing, restoration, all of those things are found only in him. Trusting in his life, trusting in his death, trusting in his resurrection, trusting in his ascension. We're to receive it, we're to trust it, and we're to live in it, to reside in it, to remain in it, to abide in it. To swim in the infinite eternal sea of God's goodness and grace. He is the vine, we are the branches. So in light of that, the rest of the passage shows us what it means to actually be in the vine. And we see that those in the vine will bear fruit. We've just read it in verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So if we abide in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are connected to the source of life, God himself, through the son, we will bear fruit. 
And everything comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. It flows like a a life-giving sap into our lives. You see, a healthy plant in good soil with water and the sun and all the nutrients will bear fruit. Someone who receives and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ has life in them. Is a healthy, life-giving, is a healthy branch on a life-giving vine. And they will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. So how do we reflect on this? How do we reflect on our fruit bearing in in a healthy way? I had to go away because I think once we received this, disciples would have received it in a way which they understood things straight away. I think we have to work a bit harder because not many of us understand grapevines and how they work and fruit bearing at all. So I went and had a little look on Google to see what a grapevine was and how it grows and the process of it. And it was eye-opening. Really eye-opening. See what happens is the first year of new grapevines, the life is given to just building up a nutrient store so nothing comes out. So a lot of stuff's just being built up in an unseen way. The fruit for the wine actually doesn't really appear and they don't really take it until after the third year of growth. But then you've got the first four months when it comes to the cycle of producing and bearing front fruit. The first four months in the winter, you've got what's called dormancy. Dormancy, sorry, where there's little outward activity. There's a lot of pruning and cutting and shaping that takes place to allow that, that new life to burst through. You get then got the spring two months where you get the beginning of buds, but they're really, really delicate, really delicate. You've then got the next two months where you get shoot and, and leaf growth coming through, and you get some of it's quick, some of it's slow, some of it grows in the wrong direction, so it needs repruning or redirecting. Some of the, the vines actually produce fewer grapes, but the, uh, the, 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 the fruit that they produce is more concentrated. Then the next two months, you start to get clusters that, that bloom. Still not the fruit, but they're like green berries at this point. And then for the next two months, they start to ripen. You get this big explosion in the vineyard where you can see it. The green berries start to change color and ripen to form grapes. White, red, yellow, green, purple. What a great picture. Why do I show you that? I show you that because of the whole spectrum of bearing fruit, you see. We want to see the finished product. We think that that's all that counts. We want to jump right to the end of it, but that's not how God designed it. Don't think if you're not seeing fruit that God isn't working. Bearing fruit can be a long process, and it's only towards the end do we see that actual fruit coming in the way that we think it should be. So for the fruit to be produced, lots of unseen work happens before the fruit actually looks like the fruit itself. Folks, God is always working. You are being shaped by God. You are. He is working in your life. He is working in your thinking. He is working in your desires. He is working in your relationships. He's working in your decisions. He's working in your priorities. He's working in your family. God is shaping you. There may be different stages. Some of the things might be dormant at the moment. You don't realize it. Some of it's going to be new. Some of it's going to be old growth. Some of it's going to be mature growth. And some of this will be as an individual, but also collectively for us, Cornerstone Church, Liverpool, as a church. Just reflect on the time we've had and what's been going on. How do we get fruit through through those times? And we should celebrate and look for the whole spectrum of that God-given growth. So if we stopped trying harder and started looking harder for what God is doing, we would see that in our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, we, being in the vine, we and those around us are being continually filled internally with the love and life of God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So how do we bear fruit? Because I think this, this passage then actually shows us spiritually what it looks like. Verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. We are cared for every way by God. The vine dresser is a, is a gardener, to use our terms. And God is an expert gardener, expert gardener. He knows his garden. He knows his branches, he knows his vine, he knows what goes where, he knows how to care for each and every branch. He knows what condition's the best. He knows the conditions at the right time in the right place to care for the branches. He prunes ever so carefully and ever so intimately and precisely for the most health. See, pruning, folks, is essential for new life. It's essential to cut off the dead things, to create pathways for new life to burst through. And this pruning, in reality, may well be painful for us. It's a a purging, a, a cleansing, a healing, which is experienced often through suffering and affliction. So the truth that we see in the Bible is that God grows his church through affliction. And God will often grow his people through suffering and affliction. You know the two countries where Christianity is growing the quickest? Iran and Afghanistan. Just put that together. God works in ways that we wouldn't expect. And God disciplines those he loves, as a father does to his children. And he does it to bring us closer to him, to give us that new life. He might be at sometimes removing things to shake up our priorities, to show us where life is. Sometimes he shifts and changes things around to actually change perceptions. Sometimes he, he shifts things around to make us ask different questions. He may even allow our hearts to harden over time so we can understand our hearts and repent and turn back to him. And all of this, this whole process leads to life, new life, helping us to cast off the old and live in the newness of life. So God provides internally the life of Christ through the vine and externally the the Father proves for those external conditions. Pruning leads to new life. Second, we bear fruit by being washed in the word. Verse three, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Let me say this really clearly. I want you to hear this, folks. Please, please listen to what I'm about to say. There is power in God's word. There is power in God's word. Healing, restorative, calming, peace-giving power. See, folks, this is an encouragement to, to set aside time. And can I say this? High value time, your best time, it's not an issue of, of, of busyness, but priorities. Let me say business itself is a choice, isn't it? This is a matter of life and death. So where can you engage rightly with God himself? To hear from him, to spend time with your father in his presence, in his life-giving word. If you're new or, or you need help in this area, over the next couple of months, we're gonna be looking to gather with a, a few people just to, to see how can we do this? How can we help each other to engage with God and his word? But start here, start today, start this week. Set aside time to be with God. Be washed by the word. Is that the word washed? I love that, it implies that God is doing a cleaning. If you feel that you're too dirty, guilty, Shameful to come to Christ, shameful to come to God. I tell you folks, that's a lie. 
That is a lie. Come to God who washes us by his word. A father who says, come to me, child. Come to me, son. Come to me, daughter. Look what I've done to you. I'm your father. Let me walk this through with you. And he washes us by his word. Peace, love, joy, purpose, meaning, all of those things are found, things are found in God's word. Thirdly, we bear fruit by talking with God, verse seven to eight. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, we, we could totally misunderstand that statement, I think. And it's just, think of it as, ask whatever you wish and it's gonna be done for you. But the key is in the whole sentence that the Lord Jesus Christ says, in the context of this conversation that he is having with the disciples. It's abiding in Christ and abiding in Christ's word, which in John's gospel, as we see Jesus says, is the Father's words. So what we do is we spend time in God's word, in God's presence, we're hearing the Father's voice. In his word, united to Jesus, in his presence, we are shaped by him. God shapes us, God transforms us, God changes us. We see his will, we see his plan, we see his points, we see his, his purposes, we see his desires, we feel his desires and it transforms us. And so we speak to God, we ask of God in Jesus Christ's name and God works his purposes through us as people as we come to him. And in that we bear fruit and he, it tells us, is glorified. Fourth, verse nine to 10, we bear fruit by participating in the love of God. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There is an infinite, eternal love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It existed before we existed. A perfect love. Perfect, pure, complete in every way. See folks, we don't bring love. We receive from God's love. We participate in God's love. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus Christ deals with our sin, our self-love, so that we can experience his love. We are brought into his love, to abide in his love, to live in his love, to reside in his love, the love of God himself. Brothers and sisters, united to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are loved by God. No one tell you any difference. A love that never ends. Why? Because of Christ's finished work on behalf of you. But living in that love, eternal, infinite, transformative love isn't static. See, that love has transforming power by its very nature. It causes us to be changed by God and to live for God, to rejoice in him, to be thankful for him and to live in the way that he calls us, to seek to please him. But what does that look like? I think Jesus Christ goes on to show us. Verse 12 to 14, we bear fruit by laying down our lives. Verse 12 to 14, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
through the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ is revealing God's true nature. He is turning the full beam of the light on and showing us who God is. And he's showing us that God is a being of self-giving love. God, by nature, he moves out in love towards others. He gives of himself for the good of others. And that's why being in the the vine, Christ displays and pours out the character of God to us. He is the conduit of that life, of that love. He gives us life. He gives us love. And so if we are in him, we too will give of ourselves. We'll give of ourselves for the glory of God and we will give of ourselves for the good of others. And it's kind of counterintuitive in, 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 in a lot of ways. It's not the cultural view of love, is it? That we see and that we read about and that we witness in the films and the, the TV programs and the newspapers. No, but this is a gospel view of love. By giving of ourselves, this is the counterintuitive part, in giving away our life for others is where we find life. And with that is where we find our joy and where we find our peace. Look at verse 11, folks. Just let this sink in. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What is flowing between the vine and the branches? What is flowing between them? Words of love, words of joy. Abiding in God, walking in his way is life-giving. It's the only place, only place. That's an exclusive claim, folks. The Bible makes it the only place that you'll find fullness of joy is in Christ. And we long for this, don't we? We long for joy. We long for that full experience of joy. And we have it in our union with Jesus Christ, the vine. We have fullness of joy. So let me just give you a few thoughts as we seek to to work this out, to walk this out, and to live this out. Folks, this is not about trying harder. See, the branches, they can't try harder to produce fruit. Doesn't work like that. We were at the um, tailors yesterday for, went around for a bit of a celebration. We were in the back garden and in the back garden there, there was a pear tree. I hope you don't mind me telling people this, Bridget and Alan, but that pear tree, was, it wasn't looking the healthiest, shall we say. And the, the, the fruit on that pear tree was looking a little bit weird. All of it, it was, it was dimpled and distorted and discolored. And every time you touched it, it fell off. And I was knocking it and things were falling off. My kids were kicking it around the yard. It was terrible. It's a bit embarrassing for me and my family, but there you go. And the fruit was distorted. And I said, okay, well, why? Why, the, why is the fruit on that pear tree distorted? And the answer came back was because poison is running through the tree. The tree wasn't healthy unhealthiness was coming from within to without and it kept on producing bad fruits because internally it wasn't healthy and there was rottenness happening. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have pure life, pure love flowing to us through a perfect vine. So bearing fruit on the branches relies on the life-giving of the vine. This, folks, is a call to look harder for the Lord Jesus Christ, to stay close to the Lord Jesus Christ, to see the reality of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a believer here today, if you are a believer here today, you are united to Jesus Christ, connected to the vine. You have life and love being continually poured into you by God himself. God has been, God is, And he always will be working and shaping and transforming your life for good. Second, be patient. Be patient as you ask him and as you look to him. 
Don't get drawn into the, the cultural way of thinking of immediate results. You know, I will be sat around having a little um, chat at home. I'm, I'm my wife, sorry, I didn't ask for permission to share about this, but it's just happened, it's not even there. I, my, I will say something or someone will ask a question that we don't know. My wife, within a second, will be on Google. Boom, there it is, there's the answer, share it. Instant knowledge, instant results. You want something, it's there. You can get this Amazon Prime next day delivery or next hour delivery, it's there. Everything is instantaneous. Don't take that and pull it into your faith. Don't take that and put it into your understanding of God and his character. Immediate results, finished product. There are many, many stages to bearing fruit. Remember, and take you back to that, that understanding of the grapevine as the disciples would have heard it. It takes time. It's a patient process. It's a thoughtful process. It's a loving process. It's a caring process. It's a growth process. Look to God. Trust God. If you were to sit down this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow morning, this week, open this passage up, literally at these verses, and pray this passage through. What do I mean by that? Read it slowly. Pray about it. Read it. Ask for God to help you to understand it. Ask for God to show you himself in this. And God's Holy Spirit will do the work of taking this and showing you the beauty of Christ and the love of your Father. And ask God, as you do so, and as you think, and as you sit in this, ask that God will show you all the ways that he's been working in your life. Ask him. Ask him for eyes to see. And I think you'd be surprised. I think you'd be surprised. But also, folks, on the flip side of that, be aware that there are some choices that you may have made that might have affected you. You may have laid dormant for a few months or even a year. Let's be real. Let's be real about what we've just walked through for nearly two years. What, a year and a half, is it? It's been weird, hasn't it? In and out, on Zoom, off Zoom. And it's created a bit of havoc with church life, and it? Even coming amongst God's people, when we can't be amongst people, then we can, or can we? And the nerves and anxiety, and there's so much going on. And can I go to the gospel community? Can I go? Can we get in twos and three? It's just been all over the show. But folks, hearing this message here today, I believe it might be God's call for you to turn to him. But also, folks, to know that he has used that time in his grace, he can redeem that time, no matter how bad that time might have been, no matter how isolated you might have been, no matter how far off you wandered, no matter how disconnected you were, no matter how isolated you became, no matter how resentful and envious or jealous or angry or bitter that you became, God can use that time and redeem it. Are you willing, are you willing to ask these questions in light of the cross, the grace of God in Christ? He shows you the, the extent of his goodness towards you and his grace towards you in Christ. He shows you the extent that he went to to offer and give forgiveness to you, to cover your shame. And he says, come to me. Are you willing to work this out in light of the grace of the cross? See, God in his loving and fatherly tenderness may have been exposing some of your wrong desires. He might have been showing you some of your wrong thinking. He might have been exposing some different priorities that might not have been healthy for you. See, if we just ignore it and move on, we might not learn the lessons that God wants us to reflect back on so to grow in our faith. Look to him now and see how much he can actually redeem it all. And he might actually be using it to strengthen your faith. 
in the next decade, in the next 20 years, in the next 30 years, in the next 40 years. Let's think big picture, big time. Moses, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years. You look through the Bible, things don't happen quick. A lot of growth and spiritual growth and pastoring happens slowly over time. Time is not an enemy to spiritual growth. It's a friend. So don't be afraid to sit in it. Work it through with God's presence. And in God's economy, no time is ever wasted. Ever. No matter what you've walked through, no time is ever wasted. See, God can redeem it at the cross. And then see that God gives us the means of grace for us to grow. To so on one level, the, the means of grace, they're not fruit. This is not like a checklist. Okay, go and read your Bible. Go and pray more. Go and sing. Go to church more. Attend GC. It's not that simple that actually fruit is doing these things. That's not what is being said here. But we need to see this and to see how we grow because they, all are, they are also a means by which God gives us to grow. So actually setting time aside to hear from God, to spend time with God, to spend time in his word, in his presence is a good thing. It's the means by which God transforms and changes us. Prioritizing time to be with him and not just to be with him but to be with his people is a good thing. It's a good thing, folks. Don't let anyone tell you anything else. Christianity cannot be lived out in isolation. It can't. It will destroy you and you'll be blind to it until it slaps you right in the face. Prioritize time, folks, to serve others. Because if we're connected to the vine and that internal flow of love is coming to us from the Father, then actually we are called to, to display that same character of God. God is a, a God of self-giving love. He is a God of self-giving love, so therefore we as his people are people of self-giving love. If we are not seeking to serve others, what we're basically doing is putting a cork on top of that bottling her up and what happens folks is we don't see ourselves as moving out towards others and that is when it gets distorted we see other people as being there for us and they need to pour into us and they need to be there for us and it just leads to envy and it leads to bitterness and it leads to jealousy and it leads to anger I've been there I'm not speaking over you as someone who does not experience these negative emotions we all do so what do we do with them we turn back to God and the goodness and the grace of the cross to see that we are forgiven, to make sense of who we are and what's been going on, and then to step forward in the right way, which is that God pours his love into us so that we can pour that love out and serve others. Walking in ways that he gives us to grow. Life is poured in. You see, the effect, folks, of hearing God's word, of singing together, of being together, of eating together I, that sounds weird saying it for me I actually we met as a GC this week and we ate, ate together it was just lovely it was lovely we just ate and we, we just hung out for an hour eating and chatting and it was just lovely to do with God's people together then we opened up God's word and we, we prayed together it was joyful gathering together here is joyful as we were singing those first two songs if God wasn't doing something in your heart please can I ask pray to him and ask him to help there is a hardness in your heart that only God can help soften. He is showing you something. That's an opportunity. Don't let that opportunity that God has given you to ask the question to work on the hardness of your heart and say, Lord, soften my heart. Give me that joy, I pray. I don't know how many times that your week has maybe been all over the place. I experience this quite a lot. I talk to a lot of people in my gospel community who say the same thing. 
Your week's all over the place. You're struggling. You're, you're either too busy or you're too distracted or there's tension in relationships or there's stuff coming into your head that you can't control. But then being with God and his people totally change your perspective. You don't want us to come to church sometimes, but then you come and you leave just breathing. There's a joy that comes from being with God and his people. A fullness of joy that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, I want to circle back around it again. Don't try harder, but look harder. I was chatting through this um, sermon on Wednesday morning. We, we, we meet as elders, so every Wednesday what happens, just to give you an insight into things, we meet on a Wednesday, six till seven or seven till eight, and we pray together, and I, and I or Steve or whoever's preaching shares, and we talk about it and we pray together. And as we were discussing it, one of the elders said that, that during COVID, he had a friend who totally detached himself from the faith and from the church. And he said this, he said that at first he was happy because he had a lot more time on his hand. He could do things on a Sunday morning. He could do things through the, the week, but then he started having some doubts. Then he started struggling with some emotions. But what kept him, what kept him was remembering the father's love for him. That's what kept him holding on to his faith. It wasn't a checklist of what he had done or hadn't done. It was the experience of the Father's love because of his union with God in Christ. Folks, hold on to that today. Hold on to that reality that no matter how far, no matter where you have gone, no matter how detached you have become, no matter how negative your emotions might be inside, no matter how your thought patterns might have gone, no matter how big the barrier might have been, that actually if you are in Christ, he has you. He has you. Use this opportunity today, the start of a new year, September. Use it today. He has you. He loves you. In him you will produce fruit. You will. The first place and the only place to, to, to process this, folks, is at the cross of Christ. If you're struggling to know, where do I go with this? What do I do with this? Your first look, your first place, your first gaze is Christ. The cross of Christ. You want to understand the love and life that God has for you, that he displays for you? Look to Christ. You want to understand his heart towards you? Look to Christ. And so that's what I want to do now. This is not a stop-start. Okay, the sermon's finished. We're going to move on to the next part. No, this is a continuation of our worship. This is a continuation of us being together in God's presence. And we're going to sing together. The guys are going to come up in a, in a minute. And we're going to sing together. And we're going to sing truths of God's word together. But folks, I want you to be active in this. I want you to be active. So this is what I want to do. In a second, I'm going to read from a, an Old Testament passage from Isaiah, which hundreds of years before Jesus Christ came, describes what Jesus Christ did. And it shows what he did on the cross. And can I ask that you would be praying in your heart right now that God would do a work to show you the love that he has for you in Christ, that he would stir your heart. And then folks, can I ask you as well, not just to do this with your eyes closed, but can we look around? <laughs> these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is your family. You know the struggles of these people? You know the walks of these people. You know the pain of these people. You know that some people might not have been for a while or you might be struggling in different areas. Can you pray for them? That as I speak, I said before, God's word has power. I am speaking God's word. It's God who has the power. So pray that God would do a work on people's heart. 
And then the guys are going to sing a verse from the song for us. Pay attention to the words that they sing. And then they'll guide us through singing the rest together. So if you guys want to come up and I'll read. Behold, my servants shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. From that which has not been told them they see. And that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from men whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, Surely, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who considered that he was cut, out of, cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made a grave, his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many, many, many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Your iniquities have gone. They've gone. Jesus has taken them if you trust him. Your guilt is gone. Your shame has been covered. You are free in Christ. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors.